0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of Sug Sound. Welcome to this episode recorded over the 11th and 12th of August. To open this episode I'd like to just take a moment and pay tribute to Heather Heyer. And the two police officers who last year at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville were tragically killed. Heather Heyer was killed by a white supremacist who mowed a car into a crowd during a white nationalist rally. And I would like to pass on my condolences to her friend's family and also the two police officers killed as well. And I hope they find peace and love on this anniversary so in this episode we're going to talk about a possibility of a eu referendum again eu ref 2.0 and also the tragic story of the killings and protests over in bangladesh but first boris johnson decided to write a column in the daily telegraph where He compares Muslim women wearing burqas and face veils to letterboxes. In a palpable Islamophobic rhetoric, the ex-foreign secretary uh, decided to come back into the press monumentally. (laughs) Now, as a Conservative myself, I condemn Boris Johnson making these remarks. I uh, stood on the general election last year uh, in Hackney South and Shoreditch as an Independent, on a manifesto that pledged to tackle Islamophobia in the country. So these marks are against everything I believe in. And I'm going to be speaking to a director of an organisation which tackles Islamophobia shortly. Um, A lot of people have uh, condemned Boris Johnson. A lot of people have condoned Boris Johnson's, uh, quote, freedom to speech. End quote. And uh, it's it's a really it's opened up a really interesting debate about does freedom of speech mean freedom of conscience? Does freedom of speech allow you to say uh, discriminatory or verging on hateful things towards other religions or communities or minorities just because you have a human right to do so? So I I did a bit of human rights at university, tiny, tiny bit. But what I learned, and I did a a OU course on it uh, this week week as well, what I learned was when you have a... a, When you utilise your human rights, um, and particularly the right to free, free speech, you carry a responsibility with that. So if you use a right you have a responsibility um, for the aftermath of that right or or for the mobilisation of that right. So if, like Boris Johnson, you say uh, Muslim women dressed in face veils or burqas look like letterboxes and then claim that's free speech, there's also a consequence that people are going to potentially, and have been, offended by that comment. And that brings into the question, does free speech mean freedom of conscience? Can you just say what, what's on your mind, um, no matter how discriminatory or no matter how controversial, and still pass this line of free speech? Tommy Robinson, the former EDL leader and founder of EDL, your name's Stephen Yaxley-Lennox, has been uh, a very controversial figure in British politics around this issue of free speech. And he's been very at the forefront of um, what I would class as Islamophobia. Uh, And he was recently jailed for contempt of court. Um, Boris Johnson in the burka row and Tommy Robinson in his general rhetoric um, are very similar. But does that mean... It's acceptable. I spoke earlier with Tanveer Shah Jahan, director of Be Synergetic. Hi Tanvir, thanks for joining me on Suck Sound. First of all, can you explain what Be Synergetic does and why... The comments that Boris Johnson made this week are so important to you and your organisation. Hi, go. So essentially, the energetic is a platform to connect.
1: So we connect Muslim professionals of academia, creativity, and entrepreneurism. Provide things like mentoring, networking, commercial awareness, and just in general, increase opportunities. For Muslims around the UK, the comments made by Boris Johnson were—they're very concerning. Not the comments themselves, maybe necessary, but the effect that it can have. Without sugarcoating it, it's just straight Islamophobia. um Calling uh, Nikabi women letterboxes or comparing them to bank robbers essentially dehumanizes them. When young people look up to you and you're making comments like this it almost means that oh it's okay to make comments like this and it normalizes the treatment of muslim women can only get worse that makes sense so people are always going to be testing the limits and putting their toes across the line moving the line sort of further away means that they'll test Something a bit deeper, and that just increases the severity of Islamophobia. So I'm a South Asian young Muslim male, and I acknowledge that I I don't really have a right to tell Muslim women how to dress. Then why does he, as a white middle-aged non-Muslim, not understand that he also doesn't have a right? These types of comments are sort of deemed acceptable.
0: So when you talk about the effects the comments made have are you talking about online abuse physical abuse verbal abuse or are you talking about something else in terms of the abuse i think it's
1: not as massive an effect as on the online abuse but more so on the physical and verbal abuse,
0: sort of, in real life, so to speak. Because with
1: the online abuse, a lot of it comes
0: from anonymous people. It's been a few days since he made them. Should he apologise? In terms of the conversation of whether or not he should apologise,
1: personally, I don't think it makes a difference if he apologises or not. Because it's got to a stage where he, if he apologises now, it would be because he's been forced to apologise. Like, I just don't understand how a grown man can be so threatened by a piece of cloth. Because at the end of the day, that's what the niqab is. The symbolism behind it is, of course, derived from the religion. But the people who wear the niqab are women who are minding their own business. Like, majority of them are just living normal, everyday lives. It really does show his misogyny. The assumption that the women is being oppressed is created within him from his own sort of deep
0: opinion that women are inferior. That was Tanveer from Be Synergetic. What really struck me was when he said, as a young Muslim male, he doesn't have the right to tell women how to dress. I've seen on Twitter and, and general kind of news sites, etc. Um, one of the main criticisms of Islam is men force women to dress like this and it's their culture. And actually what Tanvir just said completely counteracted everything that Tommy Robinson, Boris Johnson and, and these people would like you to believe. Really interesting. Um, And it's important to note he is under inquiry uh, by the Conservative Party. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Baroness Worsi is... Uh, still pushing for a Conservative Party-wide inquiry into Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. I actually fully back that and I fully support that and I want to put that on the record. (sighs) The EU. I'm sure you've heard about the EU so much over the last two years that you're sick to the back teeth of it. So am I but this is a new story which has been pushing on over the summer and as much as I hate this news story because I think it's stupid and undemocratic. Uh, They certainly make a point and they certainly get themselves the attention they want and nothing changes in this podcast. So, this week, YouGov, a survey organisation, polled 10,121 adults in the United Kingdom and ask the question, if there were a referendum today on whether or not the UK should remain a member of the EU, how would you vote? 53% of respondents said they would remain, 47% of respondents said they would leave. Now, uh, back in June 2016, there was 52 voted leave and 48 voted remain. So, there has been a according to this, a shift in the public on uh, remain versus leave, and uh, 53% now say we should remain if you listen to the 10,121 adults who took part in this YouGov survey. There is a campaign called People's Vote UK, which is campaigning for a people's vote. Now, in for all intents and purposes, this is another referendum. <laughs> I don't know why they're calling it a people's vote. It's another referendum. Now, my analysis of this, I do not support a another referendum on the whether we should remain or leave the EU before we actually leave. So, June 23rd last year, 52% of people voted leave. million now i didn't i voted remain but i have come into the mindset of democratically we voted leave and actually i can see benefits of leave now Uh, there is this campaign which is saying that we should have a final say because lies have been told and people have been misinformed so we should have another referendum to determine whether we should leave or remain. Now, my analysis is I think this is completely undemocratic. I don't think we should have a second referendum. Uh, and my, I mean, one argument that Remainers use is leaving the customs union and leaving the single market was never on the ballot paper. Now, what I would say And we should remain because of that. And what I would say is a people's vote was never on the ballot paper. So how you're using one argument when you also fail on that argument, I do not know. Uh, Is a people's vote democratic? Well, no, because we've already had a referendum. Now, what I would say is, uh, and this is my own personal opinion, if you want a discussion about whether we should become a member of the EU again once we leave, by all means, have that discussion. And actually, I'd really welcome that because it would keep the debate alive and it would be very interesting to see after we leave the EU how many people actually want us to go back in and how many people believe that the June 26 referendum made the right decision. So I am all for another debate on remaining and leaving the EU. But I'm not for that debate or for a referendum or for a vote prior to us actually physically leaving uh, because we did democracy, we had democracy, we had a referendum. And uh, whether the referendum was a good idea or not, is completely a different topic but we had it so i i'm a firm believer of you should carry out what the people say and then also we have a general election coming up um in 2022 if not before that's when we can decide whether we you know, whether we vote for a party which says we should go back in the EU or whether we vote for a party which says we should stay uh, out of the EU. That's when the people des- decide. They elect politicians which then decide on our behalf. We do not live in a direct democracy where referendum is the way to deliver uh, results and the way to ask the people all the time. Um, More and more increasingly, referendum has become a part of British democracy, and I'm actually all for referendum. Uh, I'm a firm believer of referendum. I think we should have more direct democracy. But the system we live in currently, uh, having a general election and having representative democracy, uh, does not suit in with having another referendum on the terms of the EU deal or uh, membership of the EU before we actually leave um, we elect MPs to make decisions on our behalf what I would say is if you don't like the way the country is going or the government is going or the opposition is going come lobby to your MP campaign to your MP and get them to vote against the deal or back the deal wh- whatever you wish when it comes to the House of Commons in the autumn what, what I wouldn't say is don't push for another people's vote, another referendum prior to us leaving, because it is undemocratic. It's not going to happen. There's no, also there's no uh, room for legislation for another referendum to happen prior to March 2019. So it's actually uh, legislatively impossible. And that's my analysis. So this second referendum shouldn't happen. But what are your thoughts? Use social media, hop on Twitter, hop on Facebook, use the hashtag SugSound and you tell me your thoughts and then we'll try and discuss it on the next episode. Should there be another referendum on membership of the EU? Uh, have your say. Use the hashtag SugSound on social media. So now we come on to a story which is so tragic. Um, and it's different to other stories in the sense of um, the national and international media found out about this um, from citizens inside Bangladesh who use social media to spread the news of what was happening because there's censorship uh, over there with the government. Um, On the 29th of July Two students were killed on the streets of Bangladesh by a speeding bus. Um, Seven people were injured as well, and this sparked outrage from students and lots of protests. Keeping with the authenticity of how this story came about, I'm going to let Was and Ruku, both pseudonym names, both Bengali heritage uh, people, explain more about this situation um, because they have friends and family over there who have been able to tell them what's actually really been going on now um please note that there are some graphic explanations about what is happening um but i'm keeping them in and i and i'm not editing them out because this is a story which is really important to a country Really important to many people who may listen to this podcast and people who live in Bangladesh so this is a really authentic story and I want I want it to be as real as possible
2: this scenario here this situation that's going on right now um, this these these students um, they've recognized that in a certain area a certain road um, it's it's badly badly managed badly designed um, there a lot of accidents are happening in this area and it's affecting um, a lot a lot of people in the area a lot of people in the school and the students, what they did they decided to take a stand to it and um, protest actually so um, what they started to do was actually manage the, the road traffic themselves um, like you know, standing in there letting people go at this time stopping people at this time really taking it into their own hands. And, you know, that that escalated to just now a proper protest of, of course, what, what has been reported that it was a peaceful protest. And um, what the Beng- Bangladeshi government are reporting that it was a violent protest, but obviously only the people that were there will know the true story. Um, and the protest went, I think, Uh, more than a couple of days that it was going very peacefully very successfully and after that the government took a stand and a couple of radical um sides of the government took it in their own hands to stop this protest and to remove the people the students so what they did was they beat and murdered a couple of people they Took the women and raped them in police stations. So to be able to do that in police stations, you you know that this was sanctioned or at least permit permitted by the government, and that that that's what this whole uproar is about. You know, we all know the situation in South Asia in South Asian countries uh, with when it comes to you know sexual assault and and things like that, and this this is now just. that now to the core it's 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 really almost accepted by the government to treat women like this and to treat students like this and to treat anyone that goes against the government like this what i take from it is that we are lucky we are so so lucky that we live in london or you or whoever listens we live in a place where we can um express our feelings express our disagreements with the government we can protest um and there's much much less of a fear that Something of that level can happen. We still feel um, a level of safety, a level of security living in this country.
0: So Roku explained what's happening really on a general scale. And our next guest, was is going to explain more about the in-depth uh, politics of what is going on in Bangladesh. Can you introduce yourself and... Who you are a bit of background hey,
3: my name's was um i'm basically an actor um i'm also i'm still in university right now finishing my master's degree i've got a degree in politics and international relations which was my undergrad and my my um, masters is in international relations as well so i'm quite fairly uh, political politically active um i do stay in the in the know um I also there's a lot of things that i genuinely care about in the world um, and one being Bangladesh, since it is my uh, mum and dad's um, homeland as well. Um, every single year on that road, that I, think, I do believe it's that road alone, or in the whole capital, about 5,000 people die every single year on that road. And when we say road safety, it's not because the roads are damaged or stuff like that. It is, don't get me wrong, it is. But what happened was a speeding bus had run over two students. Uh, their names were Abdul Karim Rajib and Dia Khanam. Those were the two students that were killed. Now, the reason why the bus was speeding is because in Bangladesh, the bus drivers, all, they all work for private companies, okay? So they all work for private companies. The way they're paid, they are paid through uh, commission. That's how they're paid. Now, the more people that get on the bus, is the more money they'll get. Now there was two buses that were racing against each other to get to the point before each other. Do you get? So they can get more money. So this is the issue as well. Bus companies will release their buses at the same time as each other. So like there'll be three buses released at eleven o'clock, five buses released at 11. 15, 10 buses released at eleven thirty, and then it just it, it makes it worse and. There's, two, there's competition there and there's not a wage structure. What the students done were fed up of the government actually doing something or not doing anything about it. So that's why they went to the streets. That's why they went onto the streets and protested and did all the, all these things. And then what happened was, it's not, necessarily, it's not necessarily the radical side of the government. They are part of the government, but they're part of the, they're the student uh, youth league. They're called the Chattro League. So they're part of the Awami League, which is the ruling party and in government right now. So their student league, um, which is, yeah, which is called the Chhatra And the way it works in Bangladesh is uh, politics begins in the universities. So start from there. And then that's, yeah, that's what's known as the youth league. So they went out on the streets. Now, I don't know if the government sent them out or if they went out on their own way that i can't confirm but i'm gonna leave that to the conspiracy theorists they can say whatever they want so they went out they react they're the ones that are them alongside the police as well them alongside the police and what's also known as the rab the rab are like the most how do i say this um it's the aggressive form of it's like it's like a swat team that's what you can say like a SWAT team so those those three were released and that resulted in firing rubber bullets beating people with batons firing tear, on not fire releasing tear gas and people's eyes were being gorged out and i do believe the protest to this day is still going on and it's probably been about 15 16 days or something like that
0: what do you think people can do what what do you think the end result will be when these protests are over or even while they're protesting
3: see um, okay this is the actual thing we won't know because the, the governments of Bangladesh not just the awami League, yeah, when the Bangladesh Nationalist Party were in power as well hardly anything was done except for don't get me wrong you'll get a few politicians in Bangladesh who actually stood for something and actually did their best to improve things. For example, there was a man named Saifur Rahman. This man, literally, if you, if even to this day, when you speak about his name in Silet, in in the Silet uh, district, people will praise him to, the most. The reason why is the man built safe roads. The man actually built uh, good roads for people to walk on, to drive on. To he he literally saved Silet. Do you get what I'm saying? So it de- uh, really and truly, I don't know. And especially because the main opposition party isn't actually in parliament right now in Bangladesh because they bo- boycotted the previous election that left like about 150 seats uncontested. So this is the thing. I don't know what can actually get done.
0: And that was Was, who gave us a in-depth analysis into politics in Bangladesh and also what's Happen So thank you to Roku and Was for their contributions to this podcast and for really helping us understand what's really going on in Bangladesh because it's something that is uh, not as publicised as it should be and certainly doesn't have the free and open press that we have in the UK. Uh, so it's really important that we hear about stories which don't necessarily get the airtime they deserve a huge thank you to all my guests on this episode of sug sound it's been a fantastic episode to produce and create and i've really really enjoyed it please do join in the conversation on social media our hashtag is Sug sound follow me on facebook and twitter at Hugo Sug, and I look forward to bringing you an episode early next week where we touch base with all the goings on in British politics and beyond. Thanks so much for listening.